0: Good morning. Good morning, hope you've had a great weekend so far, really glad you're here to start a new week together with God's people like God's people have done for 2,000 years. We appreciate you being here to worship with us this morning, have a lot of visitors with us as we always do. Thank you for being here. We always like our visitors to know that we're just trying to be Christians here at Great Oaks. We put Church of Christ on the sign because we're honestly trying to follow Jesus Christ to the best of our ability, um, we're trying to help each other follow Jesus Christ. And we'd love for you to be part of that. So if you have any questions about us, about Christianity, about Great Oaks, please let us know. And those of us that are here all the time, uh, let's be looking around for unfamiliar faces just to say hi when we're all done here this morning. And we want everybody to know that you're welcome as you vis- visit with us and worship with us today. A few things we're excited about want to share before we jump into our lesson today. Chris Couch, can you stand up just a second let everybody see you? This is Chris. I apologize for the Alabama shirt he's wearing, but besides that, this is Chris Couch. Uh, Chris met with our elders a couple weeks ago to let them know he would like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family. You can have a seat and I'll share a little bit more about you. Uh, Chris was baptized here at Great Oaks last May, and that same month was married to Ramona. And so they are uh, newlyweds coming up here soon on one year. Uh, Chris is a graduate of the University of Memphis. He's employed by First American Insurance for hobbies. He is a college football fan. He cheers for University of Memphis and also University of Alabama. You might have noticed we put in the bulletin, uh, Ramona is a Tennessee fan, so pray for them as they, as they settle all this out together. And he also enjoys traveling. Uh, I really appreciate Chris for a lot of reasons and really glad he's here. Uh, I'll share this. Uh, I think I can share this. He, he told me last week, um, gave a good compliment to you here at Great Oaks. He said, "Just a lot of real people who are trying to be real in their faith." And um, I think I think he's right about that. We're sure trying to be that. So, Chris, we're glad you're here. We appreciate you very much. Meet Chris if you haven't. Also, we're excited for Rhonda McElveen. Rhonda, could you stand up just a second? Let everybody see you. This is Rhonda. Been visiting with us. If you haven't got to meet Rhonda and Adam, sitting to my right, her left. I've uh, been working with us for several months. Uh, they're friends, as you can also, I think, sitting with them, Ronnie and Shelly Sewell. Uh, they've been visiting with them for a while. And Rhonda was sprinkled years ago, and, and as she thought more about baptism, what the Bible says about it, she decided, I want to be baptized the way the Bible describes it. And so, Rhonda, we love your faith in that. If you haven't got to meet Adam and Rhonda, I think you'll really appreciate them. Wednesday night was a neat night. That's the night she was baptized into Christ. She had rows full of friends and coworkers and neighbors that were here to support her. And so they're very loved, and and we're really enjoying getting to know them. So congratulations, Rhonda. We're happy for you. Uh, Get to know them if you haven't. And then one more thing before we pray and get started. Two weeks from today is our Friends and Family Day for 2024. We hope you can be here. It's always one of our biggest Sundays of the year. It's a day of being together. It's a day of encouraging each other to follow God. So anyone in your life that you've been thinking about inviting to come meet your church family, come to church with you, it's a great Sunday to do it. We'll worship together. We'll have a potluck lunch together. And then come back here for an early afternoon worship service. Always a great day. Uh, If you have any questions about it, let us know. But that's two weeks from today. And if you're visiting with us today, consider this your invitation. We'd love for you to be back. We'd love for you to be part of that. Um, And join us for Friends and Family Day. Should be a great day. Let's pray together, and we'll jump into our lesson. God, thank you so much for your church and for your love and for the way you work in our lives. I'm so thankful for our worship together already today. God, I pray that our hearts have been with you in that worship, and I pray that our hearts will be with you as we study. God, we're thankful for Chris. We're thankful that he and Ramona are together. We're thankful for his faith and um, for his desire to follow you. God, we pray you continue to bless him and we pray that we'll all have many years of serving you alongside each other. God, we're thankful for Rhonda. We're thankful for she and Adam and um, for getting to know them and for their kindness. And God, we're thankful for her faith and wanting to be right with you. And we pray, God, that she's been baptized into you this last week, that you've done everything you promised, that you've washed her sins away, that you've added her to your kingdom, that you live in her. God, we pray that... Um, She'll walk with you throughout her life and that we'll be there to help her along the path. God, we're thankful for your word. We pray, God, as we open it together today that we'll hear what you want us to hear from it and that what is said will be what you want to be said. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend our time today in Romans chapter 8. I've got most of the verses on the screen, but you may want to have the whole context there in front of you. I'll just have one or two verses at a time up here. Uh, We've been walking through Romans and we've seen so far, uh, we are all sinners. We all stand before God as sinners, but Jesus Christ came to solve our sin problem. He paid the price so that perfect justice could be satisfied. Sin really is punished, but He takes the punishment for us. And we're allowed to have salvation through Him. If you were with us last week, the question comes up in chapter 6. If we have grace through Jesus, then can we just keep sinning? And Paul's answer was, of course not. He says, remember, you were baptized. And when you were baptized, you died to sin. You rose to walk a new life. And so our sins are washed away in baptism. There's this commitment to live for Him going forward. And so we try to the best of our ability as Christians. We don't want to sin, and we honestly try not to sin. But when we do, we trust God's grace. And that's sometimes a tough heart balancing act to hold to both of those. I don't want to sin, but I trust God's grace when I fall short. But that's the Christian heart perspective. Here in Romans chapter 8, calling it the Christian victory. You might have noticed uh, life is not always perfect. (laughs) We live in a sin-filled world. Um, We all sin, as Romans has taught us already. The people around us sin, as Romans has taught us already. We all hurt each other intentionally or not. And even if some people might look at your life from the outside and say, wow, what an amazing success in every way. Even the most successful lives have all sorts of pain and trouble down the path. If you're in one of those times this morning, and I don't know where you're at on your path right now, but if you're in one of those times where life feels especially difficult, Romans chapter 8 is the chapter for you. It's one that's worth revisiting often in the highs and the lows of life because it reminds us of the bigger picture. In fact, one commentator I saw as I studied for this lesson calls it the Matterhorn Mountain of Scripture, one of his favorite chapters, obviously. It's one of those high points where you can look around a little bit and see what it's all about. And see what God has done in us. And I hope it will be a good study this morning. So we're thinking about the Christian victory. If you have the outline, you can see. I, I noticed three things in Romans chapter 8. And then I notice why those three things are true. So that will be our study this morning. Three types of victory that you have in Jesus Christ. And then why are those things true? So let's start with victory over our past. Victory over our past. And what is that? I'm calling it freedom. I think Romans 8 calls it freedom. Why do we need victory over our past? Well, since we have all chosen sin along the way, sin has left us with some things that we really need help with. I've got a list here for keeping the outline. Sin has left us with scars. If you're with us, the beginning of this series, Romans chapter 1 describes how mankind has sinned against God and that has darkened our heart. So it even changes our heart. As we've chosen sin, our, our hearts have been changed in a bad way. We're scarred because people have hurt us. Uh, We're scarred by bad thinking patterns. We've we've thought the wrong way about people, about sin, about life. And so we have selfishness we've got to work through. Sin leaves us scarred. And sin is, in fact, we'll see it in this chapter again also. Sin, in the book of Romans, is described as a power. Not just an act, but a power that we need help with. To get out of our lives because it does change us in a bad way. It also leaves us with guilt and shame. Guilt because we know we've done wrong, and it hurts us. Do you have those moments where you, where you think back to something that you said or something you did, and it just it hurts you because you think, "How could I have said that?" I. I why would I have wanted to hurt that person in that moment? Or how could I have acted like that in a way that hurt that person? There's a sense of guilt. And then shame is a little different. Shame is that feeling that you, you don't want people to know. It, it hurts you that maybe people do know uh, the, the past things you've done that weren't right. Or you hope they don't know the past things you've done that weren't right. So we're, we're changed. Sin has hurt us and affected us. We have guilt. We have shame. And then one more for that section of the outline. It's left us separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, God can save, but your sins have separated you from Him. That's where the distance is. And so that's the problem. That's why we needed Jesus Christ, because sin has separated you from God. And so we don't want to stay there, but here's what Satan does. Satan says, this is your story. This is your identity. Scarred, guilty, shame-filled, separated from God, that's who you are. Your worst moments, that's who you are. Not right with God, that's who you are. and That's where Satan wants you to stay. If you have Romans 8 open in front of you, especially in a physical Bible, you might can look back at the end of chapter 7. In the end of chapter 7, about verse 25, he says, Who can rescue me from this, this sin, this problem of sin that I have? And he says in the next verse, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And so Romans eight begins by starting right there. Who who can save us from all that? Verse one: There is, excuse me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was doing. A, I was talking with a family um, a few years ago about a funeral, getting together a funeral for uh, the lady's mom who had passed away, and she said her favorite verse. Was Romans 8, verse 1. And at the time, Romans 8, verse 1 had not jumped out at me. It was not one that I had really crystallized. I would hear Romans 8, 1 and know what Romans 8, 1 was. And so we opened to it together. And it was just interesting to me. Her mom, somewhere along the way, had read Romans 8, 1 and had clung to that promise. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Sin, Satan says that's who you are, not in Christ. That's not who you are in Christ. Verse 2 For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Jesus sets you free from all that. For what the law... Notice that's a capital L on law. So here he's talking about the Old Testament. So what the Old Testament law could not do. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. All the the guilt, all the shame, all the scars, Jesus condemned that by dying on the cross. Verse 4, So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have freedom over our past because of Jesus Christ. He defeated sin for us. And so now... Our identity is not all the things we've done wrong. All the things you think about and say, oh, how could I do that? You have forgiveness for those things. If you're in Christ today, if you've been baptized into Christ this morning, you have forgiveness from all those sins. Yes, there's still consequences. Yes, there's still habits you've got to work back through. Yes, there's still relationships that are different because of what happened in the past. But it's, it's all forgiven. And so our identity is not what Satan says it is. He says that's who you are. You're covered in sin. That's not who we are. We have victory over our past. Romans 8 also says we have victory in our present. So even even as we're living day to day, not only do we have victory over the things we've committed in the past, there is a present victory, and I'm calling it strength, because I think we'll see that here in Romans chapter 8. I've got two things I think Romans 8 says about the strength we have in Jesus Christ as we live day to day. And, And there may be others, but I've got two that I... That I notice here. First of all, we have strength to overcome sin. Let me explain how that's different from the one we just saw. To overcome sin in our lives, and that's going to happen through the help of the Spirit. If you're studying the Holy Spirit in the Bible, you're going to need to come to Romans chapter 8 at some point. Almost 20 times in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It's one of the the biggest clusters of Holy Spirit discussion in the Bible. There's all sorts of different ideas about the Holy Spirit. Um, some more biblical than others in our religious world. But what Romans 8 is going to say, and we'll see it as we walk through it, is that when you're baptized into Christ, the Spirit lives in you in some way, and He helps you get sin out of your life. In other words, we're going to read it together. In other words, you can't do it by yourself. You've proven that. I've proven that. We can't do it by ourselves. We sin, we, we, we make bad choices, our heart is dark and all of that. But God works in us to help us become more of what we couldn't do by ourselves. And He doesn't make us. The Spirit doesn't make you do anything. you got freedom of choice, i got freedom of choice. But as we try to live for God with the strength we don't have, God steps in and helps give us strength. So let's look at that part first. Romans 8, verses 6 through 13. These first three verses I have here on the screen make the point that without God, you can't can't do it. You've already sinned, you've already gone on that path. You can't clean your life up without the help of God. Verse 6 says, The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh, so we're, we're, we're setting on sin, is hostile toward God. Have you seen people who are hostile toward God? like they've let sin become such a big part of their heart that they're just angry that the idea of God is even there in their life and that God should have done something different. They've let sin really take a a sad, deep root in them. The mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It can't find the humility to say, God, I'm going to follow you. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you just want to try to do it by yourself, if you just want to try to... Change yourself by yourself. You're going to be really frustrated. In fact, Romans chapter 7, again, if you're to look back in the last chapter, Paul's got this whole section where he says, even when I want to do right, I don't do right. And even when I know the right thing to do, I'm not doing the right thing to do. He said, my mind's in the right place, but my life isn't in the right place. He said, who's going to save me from this? And the answer is Jesus Christ. But you can't do it by yourself. Okay, so how does that change? The Spirit dwells in you. If we were to study that further, I believe that happens in the waters of baptism. Uh, One quick example, Acts 2.38, that we put up here a lot at the end of our lessons on Sunday mornings. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In some way in baptism, God lives in us, and so now the Spirit of God is in us, and so what does He do? Verse 11 says, He gives us life. Not death anymore, spiritual life. Um, I'll read it, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So sin gives death, God gives life. And then look at the description of verse 13. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As God lives in you as a Christian, He helps you become transformed in Jesus Christ. Can't do it by yourself. I can't either. But God helps. Again, He doesn't make you do anything. You might picture it as uh, trying to to lift a weight that, that needs to be lifted... And, and it's just too much for you, but, but it's the right thing to do. And so you're trying, as you make the decision, I want to try to get this sin out of my life. I want to try to live better. I want to talk better. I want to handle my anger better. I want to handle my relationships better. And you can't do it by yourself, but God gives you the strength to do it. You know what's right. He gives you the strength to actually make it happen. The Spirit, what does that verse say? Helps us put to death the deeds of the body. Someone says, how does He do that? Well, there may be other things, but let me put two up here quickly. Part of it is the Word of God. The Spirit has inspired the Word of God. And Ephesians 6, 17 says the Word of God is the Spirit's sword. It's His His weapon. The more you fill your mind, your heart, your life with God's Word, the more God is speaking into your life, the more your mind begins to think more like God. There's a power in the Word of God that's not in every book. Books are fun. I like reading. Some of you may like reading. But but the Word of God is different. It's not just just words on a page. There is a power there that helps you change your life. And then also, even beyond the words, there is Ephesians 3.16 says that we are strengthened with power through God's Spirit in our inner man. And that's where that strength comes in, to, to lift the things we can't lift spiritually. I want to get this out of my life, but I just can't get it out of my life. That's where God steps in and helps That's where God gives us strength that we don't have. So there is victory in our present because the sin we can't get out by ourselves, God helps us really become transformed. And one of the the great things in the Christian life is to look back over time and just see what God is doing in your life. Just to see that I'm not the same person I was five years ago or ten years ago. Not in a prideful way because you know God is the one doing that. God is the one changing you. And so if you've stopped that process of being transformed into becoming more like Jesus Christ, don't forget the strength you have in God who wants that process to continue. Let's get that going again. The second area of strength we have, I think, in Romans chapter 8, we have strength to overcome trials in our lives. I think this was especially meaningful to the first century Christians. It's meaningful to every generation. But as we'll see later in this chapter, they were facing persecution. I've never lived in that context where I felt like if people know I'm a Christian, they might drag me before a judge and have me killed. I, I, I haven't lived in that place. But many Christians in the time this letter was written, that was their world. And in fact, just a short time later, the Roman emperor would would go after Christians and Paul himself would be killed for his faith. And there were there were these little... Areas of persecution that popped up all in the first century. And we'll see there's some persecution going on behind the scenes in Romans 8 here in just a second. Whatever trials they're facing, whatever trials we're facing, there is strength in God. And again, it starts with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is great in part because you see all three members of the Godhead. Father, Son, Spirit, all working in our lives to help us become what God wants us to be. Romans 8:26 or 28 says, "...in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness." So there's going to be a strength here. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you had times where you didn't even know what to pray for? Uh, God makes a pretty big promise there, doesn't He? That the Holy Spirit is praying along with us, along for us. He intercedes for us. And he's praying. He knows our hearts, verse 27 says. And God knows what the Spirit, God the Father knows what the Spirit is saying because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit knows what to pray for me more than I know what to pray for myself. So in times when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when I want things to be different and I don't even know what the different is, I'm thankful that God's Spirit can step in and be praying for me also. To be praying for the Father... Son and Spirit, all to work in providence in some way to help guide my life to where it should be. And that's what verse 28 says, one of the great promises in all Scripture. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I think one reason that verse has resonated with Christians so much through the years is because you can see it in your life as you go down the Christian path. You can look back at times that were not fun, that were painful. But you can see that God did something there in that painful, not fun time where He brought out some good things that that my life can now go forward with some good qualities with the help of God. I wouldn't want to go back there. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But God is able to use that and bring good things out of it. And so we, we hold on to that verse when we face the next thing. Because we've seen God do it before. And so even though it, things hurt and life is, is challenging, we, we hold on to the promise that God is still going to be working. And He's going to bring something good out of all that Satan tries to throw at us. And if we'll stay with Him, we're going to see how the whole plan comes together. We'll be able to look back in the, in the big picture way and say, God knew what He was doing all along, even when I didn't fully understand. There's a strength there. There's a strength in facing trials as a Christian that the world just doesn't have. And I've heard some of you say it before at different times. How do people go through stuff like this when you're not a Christian? I I don't know that I know. I don't want to have to try to figure it out. I want to face things with the strength of God. So you have victory over your past. Jesus Christ covers our sins. We have victory in our present. There's a strength in overcoming sin. There's a strength in facing trials that just don't have outside Jesus Christ. And then third and finally... If you didn't guess it, here it is, victory in our future. Victory in our past, victory in our present, victory in our future. And the victory in our future is what the Bible calls hope. And when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't mean hope the way I often use it. I often use hope to mean um, wishing, uh, maybe it'll happen, maybe it is. I'll say, I hope that's true. Um, When the Bible talks about hope, it means God said something's going to happen. So it's going to happen. <laughs> it's, more, it's more confident than we would often use, than I would often use the word hope. And so Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, it's a section about hope beginning. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And I think the Bible wants us to feel what a special description that is. That you are a child of God if you're in Jesus Christ in a special way. And if children, verse 17, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. What, what is an heir? What is an heir or an heiress? It's someone who is going to inherit something. Uh, we, don't, we don't call everybody an heir or an heiress. Um, if you see an heir or an heiress in the newspaper, it probably means someone whose parents are just really, really wealthy, probably world-renowned wealthy. They own an oil company or they own another energy company or they're big in banking or politics or something like that. We would say an heir is someone who, who's on the path to inheriting someone something big because of who their parents are. And that's what he calls us. He says, you are on the path to inheriting something big because of who your father is. There's a confidence there. There's a confidence that my future is okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It's taken care of because of who my father is. I I haven't done it because of who my father is. You face the world differently when you're an heir or an heiress because of who your father is. Verse 18 is another great verse. Romans 8 is full of them. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is the promise of God from beginning to end of Scripture that you are going to love eternity with God. Don't get caught up in the stuff here too much because Eternity with God, is what you're, that's what you're going to love. That's your aim. That's your focus. You can't take heaven out of Christianity. It's all over the Bible. It's a central hope of Christianity. Uh, yes, we want to serve God here and make the world as, as close to God a place here as we can. But there is eternity waiting for us. He says in verse 19, even creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Even creation can't wait. If you have it open in front of you, he says, even creation is suffering under the weight of sin. In the next few verses, and then down to verse twenty-three. Not only this; not not only is creation waiting to get out from under the the burden of sin, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Let's stop there before we read the next two verses. We groan within ourselves. Do you have those days? where you say, God, if you just want to go on and come today, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> Do you have those days? God, maybe it's, maybe it's time. You know, Lord, maybe it's time. Just come on back. You know, this, things don't seem to be going very well as, as far as I can see them. He says we, we groan within ourselves because we know this is not where we want to be forever. And so verse 24, in hope we've been saved because we're looking forward. In hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? So we're looking forward. We haven't seen it yet. Verse 25 has two things I've got here for the outline. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. What, what, is, what does hope give us? I notice first of all, anticipation. When you're looking forward to something, isn't that a great feeling when you're looking forward to something? And it can be as trivial as looking forward to a Super Bowl party, or as trivial as a vacation coming up, or a day off coming up, or a a planned night to go watch a play, or a sporting event. It can be as as trivial as that. It can be bigger things. He says, we wait eagerly for our hope of heaven. There's an anticipation. There's an excitement. I hope there is, if we're understanding Scripture correctly, that our best days are still ahead of us. And the most enjoyable thing we'll ever experience is still ahead of us. There's a strength there. There's a, there's a victory there that transcends whatever you're going through from day to day. Also, I want to underline in verse 25 the word perseverance. Hope also gives us perseverance. When I know I have hope, I can keep going further Longer, stronger, when I know that something is going to come to end the struggle, to, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that there, there's a reward at the end of the path, keeps you going. Hope gives us perseverance that we wouldn't have otherwise. But because of the promises of God, there is hope in Jesus Christ. So the Christian victory, why do we, why do we even have that? Um, he ends the chapter with this... This great section of strength, one that's worth reading to yourself. I'm going to read it out loud here this morning. Why we have victory? Because God is for us. Some people feel like they grew up in churches where they didn't get that message. They feel like they grew up in churches where God was against us, where God wanted to punish us, where God took pleasure in... Being against us. And that, that's just not the Bible's message. Yes, sin is evil. Yes, sin will be punished. But God is for us. In fact, I believe it's Psalm 56.9. I should double check before I just speak out loud like that. But I believe it's Psalm 56.9 that says, This I know, that God is for me. Boy, that's worth writing on your heart, isn't it? In Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? It's a rhetorical question, but there is an if in there. I think the if is there because um, it's our choice. I get to choose. Am I going to be with God or am I not? But if I choose God through Jesus Christ, and if I'm in Jesus Christ, God is is for me. He's always for me in the big picture, but but now I'm on His side. And if God is for us, who's against us? Who's going to beat God? What's going to be stronger than God? That, That thing doesn't exist. And so he's going to say, since you have God's love, you overwhelmingly conquer. And that's why a lot of people put victory as the theme of Romans chapter 8. You overwhelmingly conquer through the love of God seen in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read 35 and following. Ian read some of this for us a minute ago. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Notice what they were going through. Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? It says, if we go through any of that, it, it can't separate you from God. Just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Sometimes God's people go through difficult things because they're God's people. He says, that doesn't separate you from the love of God. People can hurt you. They can't pull you away from God. The world can hurt you. Can't pull you away from God. In all these things, all the sufferings, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, which is like rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's just great, isn't it? Don't don't rush past that passage without letting the truth sink in a little bit. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No matter what the world throws at you, there is a strength there. And so in Christ, we have victory over our past, freedom from the weight of sin and guilt and shame and separation. We have freedom in our present God helps transform us getting sin out. He gives us strength to face trials. We can face them different than we would be able to as a Christian. And we have victory in our future because of the hope of God, the promises that our best days are still ahead of us. We're even even thankful for those who have passed on ahead of us, those Christians who have gone on, because they've crossed the finish line. We're happy for them. We celebrate for them. They received all the promises of God all the way into eternity. There is a strength in the Christian life. I don't know what challenges you are facing. I don't know what challenges you're going to face. I know in a sin-filled world, we're all going to be facing things all the time. Don't forget what Romans chapter 8 tries to drive home to us. In Jesus Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. If you believe that to be true, then let's live like it this week. Let's live like people who have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Let's live like people who have the strength of God living in us from day to day. Let's live like people who know our best days are still ahead of us, no matter what the world throws at us, because of the promises of God. It should change the way we live. I'm thankful for the victory we have in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we come together every first day of the week is to encourage each other to follow God, to encourage each other to take steps of faith if we need to take steps of faith. So if you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't been baptized into Jesus Christ, I hope you're thinking about that. I hope you're praying about it. Let us know if you have questions. I think you'll see here on the screen, this is how they became a Christian in the New Testament. And you can see this, this thing happen over and over in the book of Acts, for example. You hear about Jesus, you come to believe in Jesus, then you've got a decision to make. Do I want to follow Him or not? You repent of your sins, that's what, that's what the decision is. Repentance to turn your life around, to follow Him. You confess, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I'm going to live for Him, and your sins are washed away in the waters of baptism. If you haven't done any of those things, we hope you'll take those steps and maybe even this morning become a Christian by being baptized into Christ. Maybe you need to take a step of faith after you've become a Christian. Maybe you have sin in your life that you need to get out. Maybe you need prayers for forgiveness. Maybe you need prayers for strength, whatever you're facing. You can do this in a couple ways. If you'd like to talk with us privately, let us know. We're always happy to sit down privately and talk about faith. We're about to sing a song of invitation, a song about the victory we have in Jesus Christ. And if you would like to take a public step of faith, we'd love to help you this morning. If you'd like to do that, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing. I heard an old, old story that a safe from glory that he on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood.